So tonight, so obviously um, the pastor is not with us. Colin, do you mind helping me out um, with this just a little bit? Um, Pass some of these around. I'm going to try to emulate Keith, um, though it won't be a tenth of what he normally does. But I wanted to give you a little bit of a, a handout and try to get us started tonight. It's just a one-pager. I'm not super fancy. So I'm going to tell you something that's, I'm just as serious as I can be. It's funny, but um, just as serious as I can be. You, you have no idea how appreciative I am of Keith Shorter right now. Um, to prepare for the, the Sunday services as he does and for Wednesday night service, it's just like, Oh, my word. Um, it's unbelievable the preparation that he puts in. And he makes it look so seamless and easy. And those of us that don't do this all the time, um, it's not seamless and it's not easy. And I'm glad I had to do it because it makes me really um, appreciate him that much more. But we are very fortunate to have Keith as our, our pastor. In my, my brief tenure, um, I've listened to various preachers speak all over the place. And let me tell you, we have a specially gifted pastor um, you don't know how much you appreciate someone until they're away, and I'm telling you, I, I miss him. Um, but the time that it takes to, to bring the, the word with a fresh perspective, it takes a, a tremendous amount of brain power. Um, and thankfully, he has a lot more of that than I do. So though I can't teach or convey the word like our pastor, there is a study that I think is very applicable for tonight, and it's on point with our desire to serve and to go wherever God leads. And we're going to be in the Old Testament tonight, believe it or not. Um, the, the Old Testament is very relevant. Um, it's very timely in many ways. And we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. It's a very familiar story, but it's one that I'm hoping is going to bring a lot of insight um, to us today. While you're turning there, I want to tell you about a story that I had with a pastor that I met in January of this year. Now, I don't know the pastor personally. Um, I heard him preach, and I, quite by accident or by God's design, shared one lunch with him. So it's not like I know him well, so make sure that I clarify that. But anyway, um, he, was, he was there, and he was telling me the story that he was from Johannesburg, South Africa. So his accent is perfect. I could listen to him talk for a long time. But he's from Johannesburg, and he was telling me he had two sisters, and he grew up. His father was a youth pastor, and his mom was a stay-at-home mom. So he told me they didn't have a lot of material things, but they were really rich in love um, wherever they, they were. So when he was growing up, there came a time that it was very difficult for the family. And he said that there wasn't any food in the, in the house. And he said, Rob, it's not like when you say that. When I say there's no food in the house, what that really means is that there's nothing in the pantry that I want to eat that particular day. That means that they don't have the flavor of Pop-Tart that I like or the, the chips that I like are a little bit stale and I don't like this other brand. But there's always food in the, in the pantry or cupboard, so to speak. But he said, literally, Rob, there was no food. There was none. They were going through a hard time in South Africa. And so he and his two sisters, um, they were called to come eat. And it was dinner time. And they went in and they 
they were confused. They, they felt the stove and the oven, and it was cold. There was no food on the table. But yet the, the instructions from his parents were, set the table. I'll never get this story out of my mind. So they looked around, and they went, and they set the table. But remember, there was no food on the table, and there was no food in the, in the house. But he saw his mother and father bow at the table to give thanks to God for the food that they were about to eat and praise God for all that he had done for them and the many blessings that he had given in their life and for always taking care of them, for always providing for all of their needs, for always being with them. And he said, Rob, I promise you with everything that I have, before he said amen, there was a knock at the back door. It's hard to tell the story. But the dad went, and they went to the back door and opened it up, and there was this giant cardboard box. And it was filled with canned pilchard. And I looked that up because I didn't know what it was when he was telling me about it, but it's, it's almost like a sardine. But no one, not one person in the family complained because what they witnessed was their mother and father living unconditionally for Jesus Christ that they were relying on God to meet every single one of their needs. And that fish was flavored with a miracle that they, just, that they just experienced. And so it took on a new meaning. It set a new standard because their parents based everything in prayer. And he said it absolutely put him in a place where he didn't want to do anything that wasn't in line with what God wanted him to do. And through the course of the conversation, I, I won't go through some private things that he told me, but at the end, he, he stood up and he put his hands on my shoulder and he said, look, Rob, I want you to pray and I want you to go wherever God leads you to do it, and do it without hesitation. And pray for God to connect you and your church with the people that he's already chosen you to do it. And you pray and you pray like you mean it. Those are the last words he said to me. I've been praying that for months. And I want to tell you without details because I want to avoid any focus on me so that God, I can brag on him, he provides. And when you are praying like you have no other resource, like he is the only thing, I can tell you God will send the workers that he needs. I can tell you confidently he will supply the needs when you need it. And that's the whole theme. And he encouraged me mightily. He said, Rob, I want to give you these scriptures and I want you to read them. And that's why I'm in 1 Kings 17 tonight. Because one, I'm no Keith Shorter. So I have to teach on something that's very personal to me. It's something that I know. It's something that I've digested. It's something that is in me and that I'm trying to live and emulate because I can't bring the word to life like the pastor did. And I can't interpret the scripture like Keith does. I don't have the degrees. But it doesn't matter because the scripture is so powerful here. It doesn't take a lot of Rob. What I want you to do is just let the words soak in. And it's a familiar story. And I had to read it several times before I let the story sink in. And what this pastor told me I found is true, though I didn't really believe him the first time. So we're going to be in 1 Kings 17. I was going to do all this uh, elaboration and all this stuff, but I'm not. We're going to read 1 Kings 17 because I figured those are coming on a Wednesday night after a long day of work or tending the cows or whatever it is that you do, Tom, um, all day long. You are wanting, you're wanting scripture. I'm just kidding with you, of course. But we need to read this because we're going to find out what I'm sharing tonight is what I'm going to call the pattern or the rhythm that God uses in the world. 
that we need to embrace. And I want to share this rhythm or pattern with you to tell you that when we're walking lockstep with God, you will experience things from the Lord that are amazing and beyond your imagination. And again, it's a long passage, but, and there's two stories that are back to back. And I want you to look for the pattern or the rhythm that God uses in both stories. And this is the pattern that we should walk with God while we are with him on this earth. So I will tell you when we get to some of the points on the the handouts, you can fill in the blanks. But if you'll join me in 1 Kings 17, if you found it, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. Listen to what she says. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. It's not a good situation. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. For example, he died. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house and he gave him to his mother and said, look, Your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. 
there's a distinct pattern. It's a long text. But there is a distinct pattern in which both of these stories follow. If you're taking notes, this is now we're coming to the, we're coming to the first line. If you're taking notes, write this down. One, God caused or allowed apparent disruption in the life of his follower. Again, God caused or allowed apparent disruption in the life of his follower. You see in the first story in verse 2, it says the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. Do you know what just happened previously in just the, the, the last chapter? Ahab had instituted this whole thing of worship of Baal. And it was, it, the, the Bible tells us it, it's, it's a pretty evil text. I mean, he did more evil than, than all the other kings um, before him. So Ahab had instituted the worship of false god in God's nation of Israel, this Baal worship. And when you look at um, 1 Kings 16 and verse 29, it says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, began, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. Don't lose that point. Who did he marry? Jezebel. Who was his father-in-law? His father-in-law was Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, or Ethbel maybe is how you pronounce it, king of the Sidonians. Look at his name, Ethbel, and began to serve Bel and to worship him. His own father-in-law was really the one who instituted a lot of this stuff. He set up an altar for Bel in the temple of Bel that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So the judgment of God was to what? To withhold rain. And this would cause a severe economic downturn. Ahab was furious with Elijah. But what did Elijah do? All Elijah did was deliver the message that God had given him. That's all he had done. Elijah delivered the message to Ahab that it wasn't going to rain until he would, God allowed it to rain. God's man did what God said, and the result was apparent disruption and instability. Elijah had to go on the run for his life. He had to hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. So that's the first story. Now the second story, and I'm going to bring this pattern together for you. In the second story, if you look at verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. So where is God sending him now? It's one thing that he had to turn eastward in verse 3 and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. We're going to come back to that point. But now God's telling him, go at once to Zarephath. This isn't something that he can think about. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of what? Sidon and stay there. And what we learned just previously, I didn't know this. I didn't know that much about Sidon. But what I found out, this was literally the epicenter of Baal worship. So God was sending him from one place. He was out in the woods hiding. And then he's saying, get up and go to this other place. And he's sending him right into the lion's den. God was sending Elijah into an unfriendly place. All Elijah had done was do what God had told him to do. God caused or allowed apparent instability or disruption in the life of his follower. 
And this takes us to the next thing as we're trying to discover the pattern that God uses in our lives, if you're taking notes. The second thing is God promised a miraculous security or provision. God promised a miraculous security or provision. Rob, where are you finding that? So in the first story, remember I told you there's back-to-back stories. In the first story, look at verse 4. It says, you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Can you take a minute and appreciate that just for a second? Think about that just for a second. Think about what it was like for Elijah. Elijah, I want you to go hide out in the woods somewhere. And let's put it in modern day terms. I'm going to send raccoons to bring you rotisserie chicken and fresh tortillas every day. And I want you to enjoy it camping out in the woods that I've shown you to, to go to. That was basically the equivalent of what God was saying. But there wasn't any hesitation. But can you imagine what Elijah was thinking at this moment? The promise of supernatural provision that he was going to be taken care of is a little bit hard to believe. Don't lose that point. But this isn't just in the first story. Look at the second story in verse 9. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So in the first story, he was going to supply food and water. So he can drink by the brook, and then the the ravens are going to bring him the the food. In the second story, who's going to supply him? The widow. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So we know at once from God's message in this second story that God is sending Elijah to someone that's in poverty and someone that's a stranger. A widow in this time would have had a very difficult time providing without a husband. Elijah is going to be in a foreign land. She's not a believer in God because she refers to your God. She keeps referring to this uh, a couple of times, and she's most likely, I can't prove this, but she's most likely a Baal worshiper since that's where the epicenter was in Sidon. But think about what's taking place here. This is God telling us that we have nothing to worry about. He may be sending me, he may be sending you, he may be sending someone to a God-forsaken land, But don't worry, he's arranged for a poverty-stricken stranger who worships a pagan god to take care of you. No need to worry, you're good. We're going to expand on that. This is a big moment for Elijah, but you see, God promised his security. God promised his provision. And there's the next thing in this pattern. The second one was God promised miraculous security or provision. And the third one that I see in these stories as I'm reading them in parallel, God's person, Elijah, obeyed the word of the Lord. God's person person obeyed the word of the Lord. The follower of God did what God said to do. In verse 10 it said, So we went to Zarephath. Elijah just took the next step of obedience without knowing how everything was going to work. Did you see Elijah asking a lot of questions? I go back to the story of Moses. Moses was wanting to know a lot of things. He was questioning God, you know, all the the time. But here, Elijah just took the next step of obedience without knowing how everything was going to work out. Elijah didn't ask to understand the next 200 steps and how he would eventually get out of the woods. He didn't ask that. All Elijah knew was this is the one next step of obedience. And he did it without knowing anything else other than God would take care of him. So the next thing in the pattern, after the, the God's person obeyed the word of the Lord, the fourth one is God delivered on his promise of security. God promises, God delivers. 
In verse 6, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He was meeting Elijah's need. God did provide. And in the second story in verse 10, so he went to Zarephath. He obeyed. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, just as God promised. He was providing over and over again. God delivers on his promises, and that's something you've got to know. So what's the next thing in the pattern? Apparent disaster struck. Apparent disaster struck. Look in the first story in verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Let me tell you something. You go on the run and your water supply dries up. You don't have long. You may have two, you may have three days, but you don't have any water for a period of time. That will almost kill you faster than anything else. He had to do something. The water ran dry. In the second story in verse 17, sometime later the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. You see, apparent disaster struck in both stories. And the sixth part of the pattern that I've pulled out of these two stories is after apparent disaster struck, I love this, it was merely God setting the table to display his glory. Power and majesty. After the apparent disaster struck, it was merely God setting the table to display his glory, power, and majesty. You see, in the first story, the water ran out. That's the apparent tragedy. Elijah, he had to move on. He had no other choice. And it sets the table for this amazing miracle of a never-ending jar of flour and a never-ending jug of oil. Without this apparent disaster, you don't get to see God's display of his power and his might. You don't get to see it. In the second story, what happens? The widow's son dies. If the widow's son doesn't die, you don't get to see God's power on display as Elijah cries out to God and then raises him from the dead. Both times apparent disaster strikes, but it was God setting the table to display his majesty, power, and glory. His follower just took the next step. Elijah just did the next step of obedience. He didn't understand every little thing and how he was going to get to the end. His follower just took the next step of obedience. And let me tell you something. God came through. And God comes through every single time. When disaster struck, it was God setting the table to display his glory. And what I have to tell you tonight, there is a predictable pattern that walking with God in this, this world under this curse of sin looks like. To walk in lockstep with God means that we have to sync up with him. That God is our lead in our lives. And I'm going to give an example of a dance. When we were in Africa, we were teaching a dance. It's a very rhythmic area where we were. And they were dancing and they were singing those beautiful faces and stuff. And so we wanted to, to embrace that culture and teach them about Jesus through, through this. And at first the kids didn't understand. And I mean, crushed all of my toes at one time because all these kids around us. But once they learned the rhythm of the dance and how to move, once they understood how the pattern was going, they got it and they got the words and they got the motions. And all of a sudden they were doing it together and we were in sync and we were doing it. Different languages, different cultures. I'll probably never on this side of heaven see them again, but they heard the name of Jesus and they understood it and they understood how to learn Jesus through that dance. I loved it. 
But that's the same thing that's happening here. God has us in this pattern, in this dance. And when you understand the pattern and rhythm that God uses, you understand God differently. When things happen to you, it's not all negative because if you understand the pattern that God uses, maybe he's getting ready to display his mighty power and glory in your life. It's all about how you appreciate the experiences that you're in. So when we take the Old Testament and we look at it, how can we apply this to our lives? Now, if you're still awake and you're paying attention and you're thinking critically, you may say, hey, Rob, this may have been true for Elijah, but that doesn't mean that it's true for us. This is an Old Testament story. It can't be applicable to us. And Rob, how do we know that this will work in our lives? And was this not just Elijah's story? How do we know that this is, my big words for the day, prescriptive for our lives and not just descriptive of Elijah's life? It's an excellent question. Thank you. I appreciate you asking. Because God anticipated you asking this question because it's answered right here in the scriptures for you. But it's important. I'm stealing this again from Pastor Keith. He taught us a few weeks ago about looking at a story when you're reading the Bible to read it from different perspectives. Are any of you here during that that lesson to read it from this point of view and then put yourselves in a different point of view and read the story again? So I applied that to this story, and it worked. I can't believe it. It worked. So I'm going to follow the same technique and show you that this is not just descriptive of Elijah's life, but it's a prescription for us to follow, to better understand how God moves in this world, in the sin-cursed world. The widow is going to be through the eyes of the widow. The widow was not a God follower. You have to remember that. She was a Baal worshiper, most likely. But when she had an encounter with mighty God, it was with the exact same pattern and rhythm that Elijah experienced. It followed the exact same pattern when you look at it through the eyes of the widow. So now put yourself in the place of the widow. God had sent a drought. Think about it. She's here. This caused a major disruption to her life. She was out of food. And I think it was much like this pastor in Johannesburg. When it says she was out of food, I think that she was out of food. She was down to this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil. And that was it because the Bible tells us that they were just going to be prepared to die. They had nothing else in the cupboard. And here comes God speaking through God's prophet Elijah. I promise you, widow, if you will take that little that you have left and give me a portion of it, I promise you that I will take care of you through this drought. You ever wondered why she did it? She said okay and took the next step of obedience. She took what she had left and obeyed God and gave what she had to Elijah. There was no excuses. She, she didn't do anything but obey. God responded in a powerful way and took care of her. After a while, the widow's son died. But come to find out, it was God setting the table to display his glory to her and those that knew her. You see, this is not just descriptive of Elijah's life. This is how God interacts with his people. This is, this, is, this is how God deals with us. And when you understand this, you see life differently. You can experience God differently in a deeper and richer way. If you understand how God moves, you can see this pattern most clearly in God's only son. Because you know what? It follows the exact same pattern. Jesus was in heaven. Everyone knew who Jesus was in heaven. I mean, he was there from the beginning. Everyone had to know his name. Could you be more powerful? Could you be more respected? Could you be more wealthy? I don't think so. 
He had perfection all around him. God the Father told him that he needed Jesus to go to the other world, that God-forsaken pagan place, to go down there where he would be unknown, where he would be disrespected, and he'd have to give up living in, in heaven and everything that he had around him. You're talking about a major disruption? That's a major disruption. He was there at the beginning. But do you know what Jesus did? He took the next step of obedience to God the Father. And he came. And the Father took care of him. It, the Bible tells us the angels attended to him when they needed him. And no one touched Jesus before the anointed time. Then apparent disaster struck. They crucified him. Now Jesus, the Son of God, was apparently dead. Everything was terrible. But praise God, it was God setting the table to display his mighty power to this world when he raised him from the dead for you and me. God follows this thing over and over again. But it's tied to our absolute obedience and not knowing what's going to come next. Not having assurance of what's going to be down the road. Not having assurance of how I'm going to get there. No, God wants faithful, obedient followers. And we see this over and over and over again in the Bible. But praise God, he raised him from the dead. So Elijah's experience was not unique to him. God is calling us to follow this same type of pattern in our lives. If we will just obey, we will find out that he will provide for us. He will secure us no matter what is happening around us. It may not be what we are thinking but this is what happened to the South African preacher that I told you about. This is what happens with us when we follow Jesus' directions in Matthew 6, It says, but seek first, this is Jesus speaking, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, not may, will be given to you as well. If you walk with God, if you completely trust him with all of your heart, if you lean not on your own understanding, boy, I have to say this over and over and over and over to myself, over and over and over, do I love the Lord my God with all of my heart? Am I leaning on any of my understanding, any of it? Because if it is, I don't have clean hands. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, in everything you do, everything you look at, everything you think about, everything you listen to, in all your ways submitting to him and he will make your path straight. It's a promise from mighty God. This is not Rob talking. This is how God works. You may not see the things that you need, but God wants you to take the next step of faith. Give thanks to Jesus and follow him in whatever he calls you to do, regardless if you know what the end result is going to be. All of us can live in this, this freedom that he has given us, but we have to think through it together. If there's an apparent instability or a disruption in your life, and we're all going to experience that from time to time, maybe you're experiencing something totally new. Maybe you are a brand new empty nester. We're getting ready to, to experience that, and I'm dreading it. Maybe you're entering a, a, a different season in your life. Maybe you're starting a new job or you just lost your job. Maybe your, your marriage has hit a tough patch and you're tired of trying to fix it. Maybe you just want to give up in a lot of different areas. This disruption and the displacement, I want to remind you that we live in a sinful world that's been torn apart by Satan himself. The curse of sin is like a snowball effect. 
It doesn't get better over time. Sin gets worse over time. And the closer we get to the end of time, the more the curse of sin is growing. We live in this world under this curse of sin, but simultaneously the invading king, our king Jesus, is strategically maneuvering his disciples. He's he's maneuvering his people around for his glory. And between all this evolving evil in this world and between the sovereignty of our God who is controlling the history of mankind according to his purposes to one day culminating in every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, our lives are going to experience disruption. And if you don't think that, I'm I'm here to tell you you will. You're going to experience apparent disruption. You're going to experience inconvenience. You're going to experience suffering. You're going to struggle. You're going to be challenged. And let me be clear on something. To turn to God is not to be inoculated from the troubles of this world. Not at all. When life is going well for you, if you haven't listened to anything I said tonight, please listen to this. If life is going well for you, then amen and praise the Lord. But I tell you it's for a season. Enjoy the good blessings while they last. But disruption, displacement, and apparent instability, if you're a child of God, is a part of living in this world, and change is always coming. It's inevitable. Enjoy the blessings of God while they last, and do not hold on to them, and do not find your stability and security in these blessings. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. Enjoy the blessings of God while they last and do not hold on to them and do not find your stability and security in these blessings because I struggled with this point and I had to write this one down and I have to remind myself over and over and over and over and over again. I was so reliant on myself and the things that God had so richly blessed me with that I had lost the sight of making sure I was unconditionally following everything God wanted me to do. So I'm in no position to teach you this tonight. None. I'm just telling you from personal experience what God can do with a changed life. Enjoy the blessings, but make sure you don't hold on to the blessings. Don't find your stability and security in these blessings. You do realize in one sense that if you have a job, the company you work for, in one sense, I know this is strange, but really doesn't provide the money that you receive. God is the source of every good and perfect thing. He is the provision on, for our paycheck. The company that issues the check is merely a pipeline a conduit from which the money is coming from the throne of heaven. Listen, God can change pipelines, but the source never changes. The source and the flow of mighty God never changes. He may can put you in a different spot and he can maybe have a different pipeline, but the source of mighty God doesn't come and you've got to know where your blessings are coming from. And it's in mighty God. Your company isn't providing you any money. You've got to know that's coming from God. It's it's God. He is the source of everything good. Do not be mistaken. If you find your security in God's blessings rather than God, you are going to be confused. You're going to be shocked when you experience life change. And life change is coming. Displacement, disruption, instability, it's part of experiencing God in this world. But rest assured that he has made a promise of provision. The provision that he promised is Jesus Christ himself, undeniably. This is where many Christians get confused about God. The provision 
of God is Jesus Christ. And if you find your security, if you find your blessings, if you find your peace, if you find your comfort in anything else but Jesus Christ, that's not your security. That's not your provision. That's not what God was talking about. The world's got you fooled. The provision and security of God is Jesus Christ. That is the promise. Jesus is the one who spoke in Matthew 6.33. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If in any given situation, if you'll just take the next step of obedience with God, all these things will be given to you as well. Now, I'm not here to saying that your life is going to be miraculous, and I, I don't like that kind of teaching, that everything in your life is just going to be wonderful. Not at all. We're, matter of fact, we're promised just the opposite. Jesus will secure our life because he is the only security that we need. You will get every ounce of material provision that God wants to give you in Jesus Christ. Every ounce of emotional provision that you need will come from Jesus Christ. Everything that God wants to give you and bless you with is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one in whom we must place our faith. We are not trusting in our company. We're not trusting in a job. We're not trusting in anything we produce but him. But why? Because we're not finding our security. Oh, this is difficult. We're not finding our security in our marriage ultimately. We're not finding our security in our family even, our closest knit unit ultimately. We're not finding our security and our wealth ultimately. Boy, it's easy when your bank account is full and you don't have to worry about what's coming next month or next year. But that's not where we find our security. Our trust and our hope and our faith is in Christ alone. And that's it. That's our stability. That's our security. That's our provision from mighty God. And as the world is ever changing, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the rock. So if you want to experience true freedom, Jesus Christ transcends all of the current circumstances that we're going through. And in him, if we place all of our faith and trust, and he is the rock, and we place all of our hopes and dreams in him, what kind of security do you have? This is where we find peace that surpasses all understanding. This is why people sometimes don't understand the decisions that we make when God calls you to do something. But what I want to do is encourage you to take that next step out of faith, even if you don't understand it. If you know that God is calling you to do something, do it. In whatever situation you may find yourself, you must take this next step of obedience in front of you because that's what God wants you to do. You must take that step of obedience. Faith that produces obedience is the faith that secures us in Christ. James 2 says it in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That was in Matthew 17. It says in the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead. Luke 9, verse 23, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whosoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So my, one of my final points is obedience proves the kind of faith that secures our lives. 
I want to close with 1 John 5. It says, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. You see, the reason that many Christians don't experience what God can do with a surrendered life is because they only want to trust God when they can see how the situation plays out. Most want to see all the way to the end before they make the first step. They want it calculated. Most only want to trust God when they can actually see him working. The reason that we have to take the next step in front of us without knowing how it will end is because God does not think like us. Though our life may not make sense to us, it makes perfect sense to the one who has perfect understanding. We are incapable of understanding what God is doing. You can see the problem of only trusting him when you see him at work. If, if you're waiting for that, if you see that the problem of only trusting him when you see him at work and when he makes sense, you'll never do anything. God does not want us to trust him because we see him working or trust him because he gives us a clear path. He wants us to trust him because we see and understand his character. We can't understand God, but we can trust in his character. You can see that the God has worked for thousands of years based on historical track record. You can read it over and over again in the Bible, and you can anticipate his faithfulness to you again in the future. So if you're waiting to trust God until you can see him at work, until he makes sense to you, or that he shows you how your entire situation is going to play out, then you're never, ever going to fully trust him because you can't understand him with our finite mind. But if we trust his character, we can trust him and take the next step of obedience. It is faith, it is faith that triggers miraculous movements of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, but with faith, you can move mountains. When God tells you, here is the next step of obedience in front of you and you do it, whether or not you completely understand it, it will trigger something inside of you And God goes to work and things beyond our comprehension start to happen. These things line up that you could never have imagined. And is it the path that you would have chosen? Maybe not. But God works out every detail. All he wants are faithful followers of him. That's fully obedient in everything that he asks you to do. So we can't understand. We can't see clearly the pathway. We we can't understand what God's going to do. But the pathway to total healing and redemption of where you are today is by faithfully trusting in him and taking the next step of obedience that's in front of you. So really, it's all about your next step of obedience and do you completely trust him? So the challenge tonight is just do the one next thing. You have nothing to fear. God will provide because he shows us that he will over and over again. If God's calling you to something, then he's going to provide the way, even though you can't see it. And he will secure you and you can trust him in his character. And from time to time, as you experience disaster and inconvenience and all these other things, you will experience hard times. But you can always trust in these moments that God's glory will be on display in your life if you will only trust him. God is so ready to heal and to redeem and to renew, but we must trust and take the next step of obedience. And we have nothing to fear. And the same faith is what we got to take to those outside of these walls. And God, through Jesus Christ, there's a whole other life that's called eternal life. And it's available to anyone who just ask Jesus to be their Lord. As the source of life, he is the source of all things. And God wants us to turn from our rebellion, fully follow him in faith, 
He wants us to place our, son, our, our faith totally in his son, Jesus Christ. And once you do, our security is eternal. It can never be taken away, and it's promised to us because Jesus Christ is our provision. So the question is, what is your one next step? What is it that God is calling you to do? And I encourage you to have the faith and obedience to trust Christ and his character to do it without question. And he will provide and he will protect. Lord, we just want to thank you and for this evening. God, it's, it's your words. God, please forgive me if I've misinterpreted anything. God, help me not to teach something that is incorrect. But God, I just ask that through your mighty hand that you would just lead us and you would, in the simplest way, just guide us. God, in our prayers to you, make it clear what you would have us do. But God, we can only do that when we're worshiping you with all that we have. When we're bringing to you a body of total sacrifices, Romans 12 says. When we're leaning on nothing that our mind can comprehend, God, but trusting with you, trusting in you with all of our heart. And Lynn, I, Lord, I've said this so many times. It's so easy to say, I trust you, Lord. But when, it, when the rubber meets the road, when you call us to ask, you, you call us out in faith. And on the other side of, of fear is faith. So God, help us to remove the fear from our minds. Help us to trust you like we never have before. Help us to live completely surrendered lives to you. Help us to be a vessel that is for you and that will somehow display your glory, no matter the ups and the downs that we go through, because you are our provision. Lord, we love you and thank you. And thank you for these dear people. In your name I pray, amen. So thank you for coming tonight. Um, keep Keith in your prayers. Um, I love you. And if you're interested in adoption, hang around. We're going to talk about.